0: Many years ago, Riley Knight completed a degree in history. This proved to be a bad move, as it was absolutely useless for him. Until now, here's some half-assed history. What's going on, mate? Great to have you along for some more half-assed history. This week on the agenda, going to be having a chat about Queen N'Jinga. A very very famous figure from the history of Angola. Now Angola, as I'm sure all of my very worldly listeners are aware, is in the southwest of Africa. It's about halfway up the left side of the of the pointy southern bit of the continent there. Uh, and the area that we now call Angola was actually it was officially colonised by the Portuguese in in 1575. But this week's hero, Queen Nzinga, she had a fair bit to say about that, I can tell you. So in fact, both I mean, what she did for most of her life, she spent uh, she spent her time fighting the Portuguese both with diplomacy and, uh, you know, more more traditionally with soldiers and, and weapons and whatnot. That's the more, the more traditional elements used when fighting. Um, and, uh, you know, as the queen of two pre-colonial kingdoms, uh, both Ndongo and Matamba, Nzinga did everything she could to keep the Portuguese at bay, and I tell you what, she did a bloody terrific job. Remember, this is at a point in world history where Portugal was a major power, dominating the seas, expanding their power far and wide. But this didn't matter to Nzinga, however, because she fought both tooth and nail against their encroachments into her territory uh, with some pretty brutal consequences. I I can tell you that some of the stories about Nzinga are Unbelievably ruthless and full on, with heaps of you know horrible murder and, and stuff like that. I want, I want to say before we begin properly that some of this stuff may be exaggerated, may be misrepresented. Historical sources don't always treat powerful women particularly kindly. Um, but as her life was pretty well documented, and understood, even even the wildest stories seem to have had at least a basis in truth here. So d- just something to keep in mind as we explore the life and times of this woman, Queen Najinga, and uh, and hear about some of her exploits in in fighting the Portuguese uh, throughout the uh, the early early seventeenth century. So. We're going all the way back, going all the way back to 1583 here, when Nzinga was born as one of four kids to the then ruler of the kingdom of Ndongo, King Kiluwanji, and uh, one of his several slave wives. So he had four kids, uh, you know, d- with a bunch of different wives, whatever else, like that. And at the time of Nzinga's birth here, Ndongo was being invaded by the Portuguese. Uh, the Portuguese were, uh, you know, they uh, captured a bunch of land off the Ndongo. Uh, but by 1599, after Ndongo allied themselves with another kingdom, Matamba. They pushed back the Portuguese at least somewhat with a bit of a resurgence there. And so as a result, there was a tenuous peace agreed upon. The two nations now drew up borders. The Portuguese colony had established itself in what we call Angola today, uh, very, you know, wholeheartedly here. Um, And the Portuguese, they continued to, you know, even after this... this, this sort of treaty or this peace agreement was made the Portuguese continued to expand their territory around and dongo and they even harassed the kingdom itself whenever the opportunity arose they they, they not on friendly terms I think it's fair to say and I, I'm the reason that Portu, that Portugal was so interested in this part of the world and I'm very sorry to say that the, the reason that you know the Portuguese were so so keen to solidify their power and grab land and, and whatever else they're like that was because this period, of course, was the advent of the Atlantic slave trade. So the, the Portuguese are looking to get a foothold, as men, as so many other European nations were, on the continent of Africa, and uh, and they go and they'd take prisoners, capture uh, capture them, turn them into slaves, uh, send them over uh, the other side of the Atlantic to work on the plantations over there like that. Very, very dark chapter in the history of humankind. They're very unfortunate like that. But that uh, explains why, at least, the Portuguese are doing what they're doing because, again, they're, they're, they're looking to get uh, very heavily involved in, in the Atlantic slave trade. So, again, very unfortunate indeed. Anyway... That's the political backdrop to Nijinga's birth and childhood, and it'll goes on. contextualise a lot of the stuff we're going to talk about here, so it's important to remember. She had two sisters and one brother, but she seems to have been her dad's favourite, because old, uh, old King Kilowandji, he's taking her along to, uh, as he's, you know, he's getting on with all his kingly business, doing, doing whatever all, all the stuff that he has to do, and she's coming along with him, stuff like high-level government meetings, war councils, conferences with advisors, you know, all that sort of stuff, and she was also trained as a warrior. Uh, she, you know, got to know a way around weapons and fighting and whatever else. So she had, you know, she had quite a, uh, quite a, a, you know, positive childhood there, being taken around by her old man to, uh, to watch him do all his kinging, and then, uh, you know, being trained in uh, in martial arts and whatever else there like that. She also learnt Portuguese, the language. She also learnt the Portuguese language throughout her upbringing because she learned it off some missionaries uh, who would come and hang out in Dongo. Uh, so she picked up this uh, this very, obviously very valuable skill of being able to uh, to speak the language of the enemy here. Anyway. Our story begins properly in 1617, the year that King Kilawangi dies. Nzinga's brother Mbundi he takes the throne, and I tell you what, this is bad news for our mate Nzinga because he seems to have been at least slightly bonkers, to put it mildly, I suppose, uh, because after becoming king, he put Nzinga's infant son to death right because get this this is this is how crazy this bloke was he was worried that this baby his nephew would grow up and one day plot against him even worse, he also orders Najinga to be forcibly sterilized so she can't have any more kids. I mean, what the bloody hell is going on with it? What the, I mean, what are you doing, Mbandi, mate? I mean, I understand not getting on with his siblings, but what about just, I don't know, tricking her into eating a slug or something normal like normal kids do, normal siblings do when they're fighting? Unbelievable. So M- Mbandi, after this, you know, absolute horror show of, 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 of just utter insanity here, Najinga she flees at top speed, uh, you know, this whole ordeal has, has got her in, 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 in fear of her life, as you might have. So she takes refuge in the uh, in the neighbouring kingdom of Matamba. I mentioned before these two, uh, you know, Ndongo and Matamba were allied, and so she flees across the border and takes refuge with uh, in in the in the royal court of uh, of this allied kingdom. And this is a bit of a problem for Mbandi, I'll tell you this, because 1617, uh, the year that uh, the, the year that his dad died, the year that he took the throne, and the year that he booted out his sister, was also the year when the Portuguese sent a new governor to their colony in Portuguese Angola. This bloke's name was Luiz Mendes de Vasconcelos, Lencelos, and uh, he promptly ignored every scrap of the peace treaty that had been made between Portugal and Ndongo uh, back in 1599, and ramps up for another invasion. He allies Portugal with local raiders that were hostile to the Indongo, and all of a sudden the Indongo are, are in very serious danger uh, once again of being completely overtaken by the Portuguese. And from the outset, the Portuguese campaign very, very successful too. Absolute disaster for Indongo. They're outnumbered, they're outgunned, and uh, the Portuguese they are capturing and uh, and putting towns to the fire and the sword, taking prisoners, uh, you know, forcing them to become slaves. And even even they even actually managed to sack the uh, the the capital, the Indongo capital there. So. The, the the king, right, and Bundy, this bloke, Najinga's brother, he's having a terrible time with this conflict. Uh, he, he, and, and at one point, he was either, I wasn't 100% sure which one actually happened. Uh, he was either taken prisoner or forced into exile. There were conflicting things that I read. But in any case, his goose is cooked. He's having a terrible time, right? Because he, he knows he has to negotiate for peace. He knows he has to beg them for peace here. But he doesn't I mean, he doesn't speak Portuguese. He's not able to effectively communicate with the, with the people who are just, you know, absolutely rumpa-dumping him here. So, but, 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 but. He knows who does. He knows who is going to be able to come in and negotiate on the behalf of Ndongo there because he knows who can come and speak fluent Portuguese on his behalf. He reaches out to our mate Najinga, who is still cutting about in Matamba after, you know, her brother went a bit bonkers with the whole kid thing, as we talked about there like that. Mabundi. he gets in touch with me. He says, listen, mate, you've got to come back. You've got to help us negotiate peace here. And obviously, she's not too keen to, you know, do any favours for her idiot brother, seeing as how, you know, he... Murdered her child and, and forced her to become you know sterile all the rest of that there, but she does see how the Ndongo people are suffering because of the war and famine and disease and and, and being taken prisoner to sell as slave all sorts of stuff there like that and she realizes that her people need her and so she agrees despite her you know enmity with her brother she does agree to step up to the plate on behalf of the of the people of Ndongo there so she uh, she agrees to meet with the Portuguese she agrees to go on you know as a peace envoy and and figure out a uh, at least some kind of cessation of hostilities there. And it is during this peace mission that we see the other side of Najinga come out, the side that, make her, that makes her such a remarkable and interesting historical figure here. Nzinga, she goes off to uh, you know, as I say, to this as this uh, the official peace envoy for the uh, for the Ndongo, and she meets with uh, with the new Portuguese governor Dom Joao Correia de Souza, uh, the old bloke, the Luis Mendes de Vasconcelos, the bloke who had sort of started this uh, this whole scrap or, or restarted, I guess, the whole scrap with uh, with the Indongo. His term as governor was actually it came up in uh, in 1621, so he was done there like that. But not before, I will add, not before enslaving 50,000 local people local people who were local to the uh, you know to the area we now call in uh, Angola 50,000 people he put on board ships and sent over to the other side of the Atlantic to to labor in backbreaking horrific conditions on the plantations in the Caribbean and the Americas absolutely terrible just what what an awful legacy to have there anyway Dom Dom Joao Carreira de Souza is the new Portuguese governor replaced him in 1621 and um, this bloke attempts a massive power move on Nzinga before their meeting even begins. He sets himself up in the room where they're going to chat, have a have a talk about things, and he sets up this room with chairs for him and all of his mates for his little uh, you know his little sort of entourage there. But he, on the other side of the room for for Nzinga, he just puts a mat on the floor for her to sit on. So obviously a cut and dried attempt to assert dominance there. But I tell you what. It bloody backfired on him. This power move did not work out as he was hoping. I can tell you this. Because if some if someone's gonna pull a power move like that on you, you have to double down. You have to flip it back on them. You have to assert your own dominance. And I'll tell you what, that is exactly what Najinga does here. She walks into the room, she sees all of these Portuguese idiots giggling, you know, giggling away at this, at this fine drape they've put on here, absolutely taking the piss. And she thinks, nah, nah, nah nah nah, These turkeys aren't gonna pull one over on me. No, sir, absolutely not. So she orders one of her maids to go down over onto the mat and get down on all fours. And the Portuguese bloke's going, hey, whoa, hang on, a tick. what what's going on here? Why is, why is she getting down like that? Nzinga then goes and sits on her maid's back, using her as a chair, like a stool of her own, and continues to sit like that for the rest of the meeting, looking at the governor square in the eye as an equal. So, I mean, what a power move. It's very it's very difficult to come back from a properly executed power move if someone is going to assert their dominance over you. But I mean, if you can flip the script and get it back up, and then, geez, you do... You do very bloody well with yourself. And that's exactly what Nzinga does here. Maybe that was why. Maybe that was one of the reasons that uh, her negotiations were so successful. Actually, the story, before we get into what the negotiations involved, the story actually gets even wilder after this. Uh, one, apparently, once the talks were over, and again, we'll talk about the result of them in a second. Once the talks were over, apparently, Nzinga stood up, pulled out a knife, and cut the maid's throat from ear to ear and said, I don't sit in the same chair twice. Now, this probably didn't happen, but it might have. But in any case, claiming to never sit in the same chair twice would be extremely inconvenient. It'd be a very inconvenient way to live your life. You'd be bloody nipping off to Ikea care every week to get new chairs, never, you know, plonking your ass in the same one. I, you know, and that that for that for me is it indicates that it probably probably wasn't true. But in any case, as I say, does a bloody great job negotiating peace she does. She proves to be a very, very skilled diplomat. She gets the Portuguese to agree to pull out of Ndongo and recognize its sovereignty. In exchange, I'm sorry to say that this is one of the things she uses as a bargaining chip here, she exchanges Portuguese access to lucrative slave markets and trade routes within and beyond Ndongo. Ndongo is in a position where a lot of the, uh, a lot of the trade routes that go into sort of central Central Africa or C- central southern Africa there, uh, they go through Ndongo. And, and so she agrees to, to grant the Portuguese access to uh, to those markets, both within and beyond Ndongo, again because they are, of course, in 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 the business of, of, of buying and selling slaves. So. A bit unfortunate that, uh, you know, that that uh, Nzinga is also associated with this business, but it does get the Portuguese off the back uh, of N- Ndongo there. And, and she obviously knows how to win people over, one way or the other. She Again, very, very skilled diplomat, high charisma score here. Whether it's with sticks or with carrots, she's getting people over onto her side. And as part of bringing the Portuguese on side, actually, she actually converts to Christianity and she takes a European name. She's referred to this very, uh, you know, sometimes Donna Anna de Souza. She actually takes the same name uh, as the governor, as, as apparently as a mark of respect. So, Certainly, did a lot of work in terms of getting the Portuguese off uh, off the back of the of the Andongo. But again, there was a real a, a very human cost to be paid for that. Anyway, she's negotiated peace with the Portuguese. She saved her people from continued oppression at the hands of the Portuguese. Sort of, uh, because I mean, there are two things going on here. First of all, the Portuguese are still going around capturing slaves and and selling them, shipping over the other side of the Atlantic. So that's terrible. Second thing is. It's made very clear within a very short time the Portuguese had no intention, no intention of abiding by the peace agreement that they'd made. They're still sending in those local raiders to harass the Ndongo. They're still taking prisoners for the slave trade as well. You know, with some good old-fashioned pillaging and looting of various Ndongo, ta- Ndongo towns and villages, all done, you know, with these uh, with these local uh, the, the 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 raiders, the, the this this uh, other other group of uh, of people who are you know local to the area there like that. And uh, this very thinly veiled campaign against the Ndongo means that uh, th- they're still suffering. The Ndongo is still having a terrible time with the Portuguese, still basically, uh, you know, turning the screws on, uh, on, on this nation as their attempts to colonize and, and dominate the area uh, continue. And in uh, 1624, they abandon all pretense, the Portuguese, after, you know, after a little while of, of harrying them and, and a sort of waging warfare by proxy, they, they just give up on the pretense uh, in 1624 when King Mbandi dies. Uh, now, you'll remember that was that was the brother, that was Najinga's brother, and uh, the circumstances around his death are very suspicious indeed, I can tell you this. He might have committed suicide, but there are actually suggestions that he was poisoned, and perhaps the poisoner may have even been his own sister, Nzinga. Now, there are a lot of outlandish stories about how brutal this woman could be, but I'll tell you what, after all the business with murdering a kid, if she did this, you can't blame her, Honest, to be honest. I mean, there's a lot of sort of Sith-like energy amongst the kingdom of Ndongo, uh, Ndongo with stuff like this going on. So I wouldn't have been surprised if if, uh, if if Nzinga did knock off her own brother there like that. In any case, once Mabundi is dead, all bets are off and the Portuguese are back at it. Once again, they declare war, but not just on Ndongo this time. They ramp up their attacks on other nations and other peoples as the slave trade continues to rapidly expand. Now, Nzinga, as you can imagine... She's pretty bloody unhappy about this whole situation. She's gone and negotiated peace. They've thrown it in their face, and uh, she goes, "Bugger this for a joke. I'll put, I'll fix these Portuguese bastards up myself." Her nephew Mabundi's son, whose name is Kaza, he had become king, but he's just a young fella, and so and so she sort of takes over, steps in, and rules as his regent for a while, but not for long. Once again, that Sith energy comes in again. It seems to be the way things were done around these parts, and so she kills Kaza and takes the throne for herself. Look, not a big fan of this move, to be honest. Shouldn't go around killing kids. That you know, don't really need to say that one. Everyone knows that one. Uh, And Kaza hadn't obviously done anything wrong, uh, but then again, Mabundi started it, so I guess now they're even in terms of murdering each other's children. So anyway, by 1626, she's calling herself the Queen of Ndongo, and she's fighting the Portuguese tooth and bloody nail. She's trying to ward them off. Unfortunately for her, however, another Ndongo noble planted a dagger firmly in her back at this point. Uh, This bloke, harry he hated the fact that a woman was ruling. He himself had a claim to the throne. And so he goes to the Portuguese with a plan. This absolute snake of a man, he says to them, listen here, if you support me as the king of Ndongo, I'll make us a vassal state to you blokes, the Portuguese colonies. No worries at all. We'll sort out your Ndongo problem once and for all. Don't ever worry about it. You know, make vassal state of the Portuguese. Long live the Portuguese empire. Bloody waving the flag around, having a great time. Uh, don't even worry about it. Now the Portuguese, they like the sound of this. They go, "Thank you very much, Harry. That's a good. That's a great idea." Um, and so, with the support now of both uh, sort of the rivals that Nzinga had within the Kingdom of Ndongo already, all the people that didn't think you know she, she should be in charge, and now the Portuguese as external allies of all these, you know, this this sort of anti-Nzinga factions here, Harry takes the fight directly to Najinga and uh, attempts to seize the throne. Now, our mate Najinga she realizes she's bugged. She's got enemies both outside and inside her queendom. and so uh, she decides that a um a tactical retreat is in order. Now, someone who has climbed over mountains of murdered corpses just to achieve her goals doesn't retreat, of course. Not a retreat. No, no, no. It's just a withdrawal. A tactic she's just withdrawing tactically. And now I really like her next move because, you know, we talked a little bit about power moves here and this one, huge big power move. We know she's all about power moves and this is what she does next. In the past, right, she had fled to, sorry, sorry, excuse me, she had withdrawn to uh, to Matamba. It was the place where she went, you know, after the whole business with her brother and, and her murdered kid, all that sort of stuff. She, she'd gone there and, uh, and sort of uh, laid low and, and, you know, again, got away from her brother. And this time, however, she, so she does the same thing. She gathers all of her, all the people who are loyal to her, and she heads off, uh, again, the with tactical withdrawal, heads off to Matamba, but this time with very different intentions. She stages a coup. She overthrows the current queen of Matamba, and she takes over the kingdom for herself. So she snagged herself a new domain here, and throughout the, the, uh, the 1630s, she does everything she can to resist the Portuguese and their perfidious allies now as the queen of Matamba. Walks in like she owns the place, and then again, after a very short amount of time, quite literally does own the place. Just like that, so she does everything she can to uh, to resist the Portuguese. As I said, she does this in a number of ways. Militarily, she reformed the structure of her armies and militias in Matamba. Uh, uh, sort of, uh, they they went and undertook all these guerrilla attacks and that sort of thing. They were restructured uh, in sort of almost like family units, uh, which were you know obviously bred a whole lot of very fierce loyalty amongst uh, amongst the soldiers, the militiamen themselves. But she also very heavily undermined undermined the Portuguese slave trade by taking in escaped slaves uh, or deserting soldiers, anyone who, uh, you know, was looking to defect or get away from the Portuguese there like that. So that did a lot in terms of uh, drawing people uh, under her sort of uh, umbrella of loyalty, people were very fiercely loyal to her if, they, if she offered, you know, she was able to offer them sanctuary. In fairness, I think, again, we should point out that Najinga wasn't necessarily sort of an anti-slavery crusader, nothing like that. She sold more than her fair share of prisoners into slavery, especially those from rival kingdoms. Um, but as I say, this taking an escape slave business uh, was definitely one of political expediency. It gave her extremely grateful and therefore very fiercely loyal followers. For the sake of balance, it's important to note Nzinga didn't seem to have too much of a problem with the slave trade, so long as it wasn't her people who were being enslaved. Uh, she definitely took advantage of prevailing market forces every now and again to make money off of prisoners and and and, and stuff like that. So you know, I just I want to provide a, a complete picture of uh, of what this woman was about. Anyway, she's doing what she can to improve the situation in Matamba. She's reaching out to neighboring kingdoms who are scrapping with the Portuguese, so as you know, to establish alliances. She's building up the commerce and the wealth of Matamba. She's continuing to raid and harass the Portuguese interests nearby. And she seems to have balanced some pretty important leadership qualities throughout her time as, uh, uh, you know, being in charge of Matamba. There, she's uh, she was very clever, very, very clever indeed. Very quite ruthless as well as a leader, and but she had a very shrewd sense of pragmatism. She was she actually went more or less unchallenged as queen throughout the sixteen. Actually, no, sorry, throughout the sixteen thirties. That's not true. She had plenty of people challenging her. But what what I think I should point out here is none of these people succeeded. In their challenges, she managed to see off all the people who, who took a tilt at her throne uh, and, and retained her position as the queen in an environment once again that wasn't particularly friendly towards women in power. Her political opponents tried every trick in the book to try to get her off her throne, but she weathered every single one of them and remained queen of Matamba right through the decade. And then. In 1641, after, you know, uh, 10 or so years of uh, of harassing and harrying the Portuguese whenever she could, an absolute game changer emerges on the horizon, an absolute game changer that improve, improves Nzinga's fortunes enormously takes place here because... Those who listened to the episodes on the 80 Years War a couple of weeks ago, they'll remember that in the later stages of the war, in other words, right now when our story is taking place, the Dutch had started to take to the sea and were attacking Spanish and Portuguese colonial interests all around the world. And in 1641, who should turn up to start chucking punches at the Portuguese here in Angola? It is, of course, our old mates, the Dutch, sensing an opportunity. Now the Dutch have landed. They're attacking the Portuguese interests: the shipping, the capital, the 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 ports, the the marketplaces, whatever else they like that. Nzinga senses an opportunity and she gets in touch with the Dutch. She forges an alliance with them and she agrees to aid them in their campaign against the Portuguese for a bit of, you know, I'll scratch your back if you scratch mine. The alliance ended up taking in a bunch of other uh, kingdoms, other African kingdoms that were, you know, in the area as well that the Portuguese had been oppressing. And so the winds were starting to change here. The winds were starting to blow against the Portuguese and, and, and their campaign, their onslaught sort of comes to a bit of a halt here. The Dutch reinforced the local armies of all of these African kingdoms. Nzinga took a leading role in fighting the Portuguese with her armies, and I mean that quite literally, by the way. You'll remember, she had been trained as a warrior in her youth, so she was actually on the front lines of many of these battles, leading her troops Personally, this, like much of what Najinga did, was a very calculated political move. I said that she was a pragmatist, and her going around, you know, swinging around the uh, swinging swinging weapons at the Portuguese, it wasn't just, uh, you know, it wasn't just foolhardy foolhardy bravery or anything else like that. This was a very calculated political move because she did a lot of what she did to solidify her position as a queen by doing things that would be expected of a king. Things like leading armies into battle that was expected of kings in this area and so she went and did it other stuff as well that's a little further off the beaten path she took a ton of concubines because that was what it was expected of uh, you know of the ruling classes and I guess I don't know what other things she did to be a bit more a bit more kingly, a bit more masculine, farting loudly and forgetting to take out the garbage and, you know, doing all the other dumb stuff men do. I don't know. But anyway, these concubines, very interesting point about these concubines, right? They were all third gender men. They all uh, lived and, and, and dressed and, and lived their lives as, as women, uh, basically, with the rest of all the maids and her servants. Um, but there's another, another sort of rather bloodthirsty story that emerged with these concubines. And take this one with a, an enormous chunk of salt, because apparently, I don't know if this one is true, but apparently, she used to have her concubines fight to the death before they'd get to jump into bed with her. And then the next morning, after just one night, she'd go all praying mantis on them and execute them again, just after, after you know, a sort of single night of passion there. So again, Bit bloody wasteful there, Nzinga, old mate. There's no bloody IKEA for concubines, is there? In any case, she definitely did keep the concubines. Whether she chopped their heads off after rooting them, that remains to be seen. But she was living her life of, of, as, essentially, you know, in a in a much more masculine way, uh, so as to present herself as this very powerful, kingly figure as as the queen of uh, of Matamba. There, anyway. Her campaign to sort of, you know, project legitimate power and do the things that uh, that her people expected their monarchs was obviously very successful. And the other thing that was very successful was the alliance with the Dutch. Very fruitful alliance indeed. She's leading the charge against the Portuguese, quite literally, and together, uh, the the Dutch, uh, the the you know N- Nzinga and her and her kingdom of uh, of Matamba and all of their allies, they drive the Portuguese further and further back. Even liberating areas that were uh, that were part of Ndongo. So the war—it's going you know, back and forth. Both sides winning and losing battles here and there. However, slowly but surely, the Portuguese sphere of influence is diminishing. Also, it probably had something to do with the situation back in Europe—the state of affairs there. With the the Spanish and the Portuguese were were losing the ongoing wars there, like that. Maybe they didn't have as many resources to commit to their colonial interests there. But ultimately, it ends up with Njinga uh, and, and the Kingdom of Matamba, the Dutch and all their all of their allies ramping up their attacks, routing Portuguese armies and then laying siege to the Portuguese capital in the region, Massangano. However, the Portuguese, they send in reinforcements from Brazil and they successfully defend their colony from the Dutch. Uh, And and at this point, I mean, the Dutch and the Portuguese continue fighting until 1663 uh, in a war that's sometimes called the Spice War, which sounds like something out of June rather than actual history. But it's at this point that the Dutch begin to withdraw from Angola after these these uh, reinforcements are sent over from the other side of the uh, other side of the Atlantic there, and after of course you remember the Eighty Years War is uh, is beginning to wrap up in Europe as well. The Dutch they pull out of uh, uh, of Portuguese Angola, uh, and the Portuguese they cut their losses, realize that uh, you know they can probably quit while they're ahead here, and they make a tenuous peace settlement with Nzinga. Uh, And as a result, she enjoys the benefits of having waged a a rather successful war against the Portuguese and all the prestige and the honour and the power that that's brought her. Matamba is prospering. Again, in no small part, thanks to their role in the in the trade routes that enabled the slave trade. To be quite honest with you, but najinga she continues to undermine Portuguese interests in the region even after this peace settlement is made. Uh, as we head into the 1650s, she never gave up on retaking Ndongo, which still had this a uh, puppet king on the throne there after you know Hari had uh, had been installed by the the Portuguese. Um, So it's effectively still under the the control of Portugal. But her militias, you know, they're they're constantly out and about. They're off, you know, carrying out guerrilla attacks and whatnot, generally making life as difficult uh, as possible for the Portuguese, however they could. And ultimately... This all proves too much for the Portuguese to bear. Nzinga, as Queen of Matamba, she controls all the major trade routes into the African interior. Her constant harrying of the Portuguese in conjunction with Matamba's economic strength results in, incredibly, it results in the Portuguese throwing in the towel. In 1656 and 1657 proper actual peace arrangements are made between Nzinga and the Portuguese. And as part of these arrangements, the Portuguese relinquish their claim on Ndongo. This means that by the end of 1657, our mate Nzinga is queen of both Ndongo and Matamba. Brilliant. She's done it. She's, She's thrown off the shackles of oppression. She's chased the Portuguese out of her homeland, and she's now popped two crowns on top of her head. From this point on, Nzinga realizes how well she's done. She knows what she's done to secure the you know a future for her people, and so she does everything that she can to secure her legacy by organizing successes and establishing the legitimacy of females as leaders. You so remember, she doesn't have any kids. She was sterilized by her, by her brother at a, at a much younger age, and so she goes about the business setting up a line of succession starting with her sister, and from that point onwards, everything that she does is trying to secure the future for the queendoms that she has she's pulled together during her lifetime. This also involved making sure that the, the this newly struck peace agreement with the Portuguese actually guaranteed their support of the legitimate succession of her heirs, um, as well as, you know, trying to fight off internal rivals from within Ndongo and Matamba, who, who, again, weren't necessarily her biggest fans. There are assassination attempts from both inside and outside her realms. There's political rivals seeking to overthrow her. There's all sorts of people resisting her proposed line of succession. It's having to do with all sorts of rubbish. And let's not forget... That she's an old lady by now. As we get close to the 1660s, she's pushing 80 years old. Now, most 80 year olds that I know, they're happy for a nice afternoon, you know, pottering about in the garden, a cup of tea, a biki on the porch. But no, Nzinga, she's still wheeling and dealing. She's still r- ruling two kingdoms, and, and she's still doing, you know, all the stuff that she's been doing her entire life. Basically, now that she's thrown off the Portuguese, finally. However after setting up uh, setting up her, her kingdoms her queendoms there in, 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 with a situation with a clear line of succession with a, you know in, in a, with a with, with clear political structures in place to make sure that her legacy would w- would last in the in the uh, ensuing years finally on the 17th of december in 1663 at the age of 82 queen Najinga died She was unchallenged as the Queen of Ndongo and Matamba realms that she had built up to the point of economic and military equality with the Portuguese in the region. Quite an amazing feat to have accomplished before her death here throwing off a major European power, especially after having devoted your life to this, especially after having, you know, she spent most of her life fighting off the Portuguese, and then she got to see that she, she you know, was able to enjoy the fruits of her labor uh, in her later years in life. Before she died, she was able to see her people uh, living independent of the Portuguese there like that. So obviously, a happy ending for, uh, for Nzinga, but unfortunately, not necessarily a happy ending for the people of, uh, of Ndongo and Matama, because after she died... After the death of uh, of Queen Nzinga, the Portuguese they renewed their attempts to take control of Ndongo Matamba, and without her firm leadership, without her loyal followers, the countries and and you know unfortunately the people within they weakened. They uh, they didn't capitulate entirely. It took over a hundred years for for the areas uh, that Nzinga had ruled to be, to fully become part of the Portuguese Empire. Uh, and interestingly as well, within that within the hundred years that it took, Nzinga's legacy as a powerful female leader was very plain to see because for around eighty of those 100 years, it was queens rather than kings who ruled in, in Dongo, and still, you know, standing up uh, and attempting to, to fight off the Portuguese. But ultimately, as I say, this whole area was subsumed into Portuguese Angola. And today, and today, Nzinga, uh, she has a very important legacy in in Angolan history as a strong leader who stood up to, to Portuguese colonisation and she became a, 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 you know, a, very, a very famous national icon in the wake of Angola's independence, which was achieved in 1975 as part of the Cold War. However, her historical reputation obviously does also bear the black mark of, of being at best an enabler and at worst a, w- a willing participant in the slave trade. But despite this, Nzinga is remembered today as an important and a powerful figure in Angola's history, and she's an icon of African nationalism thanks to her lifelong commitment and campaign of resistance against the colonial powers. But that's it. That's all she wrote today, sports fans. That is the story of Queen Nzinga. We're going to close out the episode, of course, with all the boring housekeeping nonsense. Not going to be too long this week with the uh, the campaign, the, the Patreon campaign sort of close up. Speaking of which, oh my goodness. Oh my goodness. Way more people than I anticipated have signed up as uh, as proud patron members. Thank you so much! Unbelievable support is, is just been shown by so many people. It's 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 unbelievable the amount of uh, just amount of money. I mean, sorry, excuse me. The amount of support and 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 love. I'm and oh, it's just so nice to have so many. People. Oh, the money was also very nice as well. I will be honest. Anyway. Patreon members, of course, are receiving a free little merch bundle. They'll be sent out in the coming weeks. You need to make sure your address is on your Patreon account; otherwise, you're not going to get this. I'll send a reminder to anyone who hasn't uh, who hasn't uh, selected that. In addition to this, any existing Patreon members before the drive also need to go and update their new status to one of the tiers to enjoy all of the benefits that come with that. Um, In within two to three weeks, I'm going to set up and launch the uh, the Half Ass History shop. Uh, If you've missed out on any of the merch or you just want to buy it separately, that's fine. That includes t-shirts that are going on sale again in the coming weeks and uh, I'm just figuring out what it's going to what the postage looks like for them I'll I'll figure out some kind of system for it they're like that so people aren't being stung for because I know especially people on the other side of the Atlantic or around the world maybe back in Australia whatever else they're like that shipping from the UK can be a bit of a hassle I'll figure it out I'll make sure there's a way that's going to make sure these things can get to you as cheaply and as quickly as possible hopefully that'll all be set up before you know by the end of the month anyway thank you everyone for your support especially the people who have signed up on Patreon. so so many people now and uh, it's just I've been blown away by it blown away by the support it's it's absolutely incredible Anyway, I said this is going to be a short housekeeping thing. It's not. Oops, apparently. I'm just a huge liar because I'm going on and on again. Uh, HalfHouseIssue.net, that's the website. You can find all the old episodes there, links to subscribe on iTunes, Spotify, whatever else. If you want to leave a review on iTunes, that'd be very, uh, iTunes, that'd be very helpful. If you want to tell your mates about the podcast, that'd also be very helpful. Uh, listener numbers are on the up and up, and it is just incredible to see so many people listening. So thank you so much to the people who are spreading the word. Um, and if you want to get in touch with me, you got maybe an episode suggestion or an idea for an episode or anything else like that, please do. Uh, there's a contact form on the website. That's the best way to do it there, like that, and uh, that's just about that. Thank you so much for listening. Thank you so much for the support, whether it's uh, it's fiscal or just uh, you know in the hearts and minds of the listeners. It's it's great to be, great to have built this little community of listeners here, and uh, and I thank you so much for your continued support. Anyway, we're done. That's enough of that. Going to close out the show as usual with a question posed on Reddit here. Um, This one, again, kind of blurring the lines between uh, history and science. We've talked a lot about Africa, about Angola and, and, you know, the the African continent today. And as a result, we've got a question here to do with that. It comes from Reddit historian TT487178. That must be very annoying to type in whenever they log in. Anyway, this person wants to know, if humans come from Africa, why are there still Africans?